I think that was wonderful. And uh, reminded me of um, our early days at Calvary Chapel where we went through a study of that passage of Scripture. And uh, many of you memorized that uh, whole chapter and the next one and the next one. And uh, so if you haven't already done that, it's one of the great, greatest sermons ever preached. And um, I could actually sit down right now and be finished. <laughs> um, but the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest messages uh, ever. And uh, the Lord, um, I, I just really enjoyed the kids as they, uh, as they did that this morning. And it really ties in with our message this morning as well. So I want to look back at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. And I promise you that we will finish up. Lord willing, our third of three installments of uh, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read it again, and then we'll move on to the, uh, to the next topic. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure." which is the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. There is a story that is told of a young man who um, went out to the streets of Jerusalem, and he began to speak to the Jews living in the area at that time about Jesus Christ. Uh, This man had a great reputation among other Christians and among the Christian community. He was a man full of faith, full of grace, full of power. And the power of the Lord in his life was evident to all. It was very, very obvious in his ministry. He was a very bold preacher. And as he went out to the streets, people gathered to hear him and to listen to him. And soon some agitators joined the crowd and began to openly debate with him. The Lord was clearly with him. He was able to answer every objection that was raised, and he did it uh, in a way that was um, intelligent, uh, wise, and clearly uh, answers from the Lord. As he continued to speak, his detractors became angry, and so they decided to try a different tactic, And they gathered a group of men uh, around them, and they explained to them that they were to tell lies about what he was saying, what he was doing, and to report him to the authorities. And so he was arrested, and he was brought before the council. And as they, uh, they then brought in the false witnesses that they had prepared, the ones who had spoken against him. And uh, the false witnesses began to smear his reputation and his words. Soon in this court hearing, it was his turn to speak. And he stood up and he spoke a noble defense of the truth. So much so that it is reported that the people listening to this were cut to the heart. Rather than admit the truth, a mob mentality swept over the crowd and they pounced on him. They dragged him out of the city And they picked up stones to stone him. And as he fell to the ground, his voice was heard as he cried out, Lord, do not lay, do not charge them with this sin. And then he slumped to the ground dead. Now, some of you may recognize the story. It is the story of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And it's found in Acts chapter 6 and 7 in its full uh, form. But this was the day the first martyr of the Christian church died. He laid down his life for his Lord. 
And it's the story, as I said, of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He certainly is not the last. And even as we speak this morning, there are Christians who are suffering, being persecuted, and being killed for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ here in 2014. Some will die, probably today. Martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. When Stephen was stoned to death, you know the story, there was a young man in the crowd, and he stood on the sidelines watching. And uh, as the agitators began to pick up stones to stone him, they took off their outer garments because they wanted to have the full force of their throws uh, as they stoned him to death. And they laid their cloaks or their, their clothes at the feet of Saul, who later has became the Apostle Paul. But Saul was there. He witnessed the whole thing. And uh, they, they laid their coats and cloaks or clothes at his feet so that he would care for their clothes while they took care of killing Stephen. But Saul was not just an observer. He was more than an innocent bystander. It says in the scripture, now concerning Paul, Saul, now Saul was consenting to his death. And we read as time goes on that Saul became one of the greatest advocates against the church, breathing out threats and uh, desiring to, to bring it to an end, to, to stifle the church and to kill believers. And it was at the time that he was with papers in his hand trying to put an end to the church that God saved his soul and caused him to be completely transformed. But I want you to remember the words of the Lord Jesus as he spoke to Saul that day. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus was in heaven. And yet he says from heaven, you are persecuting me. How was Saul persecuting Jesus? As he laid hands on believers, he was laying hands on Jesus. We are, as believers, the body of Christ. He is the head. And what you do to touch the body, you touch the head. And this is very important to understand as we go through this section of Scripture because God is just and He is righteous as He uh, brings about judgment upon unbelievers for their treatment of believers. Because what uh, unbelievers do to believers, they are actually doing to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't help but wonder as Paul heard about the persecution and the um, trials that the Thessalonian church was going through, if he thought back to that day that he stood on the sidelines and he watched that first martyr being uh, killed for his faith. And if he did, I think it just adds to the words that Paul is saying here in verse 4. We ourselves, Paul, boast of you among the churches of God, For your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. This is actually Paul's third reason for boasting about this church. It was a great church. He had come into Thessalonica. They had been converted out of idolatry. It says that they turned to God uh, from idolatry uh, to serve the the true and living God. And uh, two weeks ago we looked at their exponential growth of faith. It's just incredible how much they grew in such a short period of time, trusting in God, believing in Him for great things as they uh, sought to serve Him. Last Sunday, we we looked at their abounding uh, love as they uh, demonstrated love for each other and love for, uh, we talked about love for even our enemies. 
And we long to see that same kind of growth here among the believers, among you individually, but also corporately as a church, that we might grow in faith, that we might grow in love. And then this morning we want to consider that we might grow in patience and endurance as we uh, suffer for the sake of Christ. If we live for him, we will suffer with him and we must endure. We must uh, develop patience And that's part of what God's plan is in suffering. The early church began with the blood of a faithful martyr. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, when I say that, that's our heritage as believers. Uh, That's our calling as believers. But we think back at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered and bled and died for our sins. His blood was shed for you. His blood was shed for me as payment for my sins uh, before a righteous and a holy God. And all of my sins were met at the cross and paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead, the scriptures tell us, and he has called all of us as believers to go into all the world and preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that our sins can be fully uh, forgiven. We can enter into a relationship with God that we never had before and that God is preparing a place for us in heaven. The gospel message is a wonderful message that saves us. And uh, the Bible says in Romans 10 and 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That is God's promise to you. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness... And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. But this message is not always well received. Uh, Isaiah said that. He said, Lord, who has believed our reports? And God has spoken and he commands everybody. Do you know that the gospel is actually a command from God to obey? We don't usually preach it that way. We, we, we preach it kind of in a pleading way. Come to the Lord. Trust in him. The Lord commands you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It is a command from God. And those who disobey that command will perish. And so Isaiah says, who has believed our report? God speaks, commanding everyone to believe the gospel. But many are disobedient to that command. And God will hold them accountable for that choice. If you this morning have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, You are disobeying God, and God will hold you accountable for that choice. And so I say to you again, as Paul has and so many others, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Get your life right with God. I plead you as an ambassador for Jesus Christ to be reconciled to God. Many more have heard the gospel, but we also have an enemy. Satan is an enemy and he rises up in opposition. And the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. And not satisfied with hindering people from coming to Christ, Satan has also filled men's hearts to attack those believers who are preaching the gospel, the gospel of peace. They're bringing peace and he's bringing war. And the blood of those who have been martyred for, the pre- for preaching the gospel message has flowed down through history to the present day and is still happening today, 2014. Again, this is our heritage and this is our calling. We are called, the scripture says, to suffer for the sake of Christ or the cause of Christ. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul speaks of the things he suffered for the cause of Christ as he preached the gospel. He says in verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you want to live godly? Then expect persecution to come your way. You should not be surprised by this. It should not take you by surprise. This is the calling of every Christian. And persecution and tribulations uh, 
They'll come in different ways. It's not the same for every person. I will say this to you. God will not allow you to be tested beyond what you are able. Okay? That's a promise from God. He will allow the testing or the temptation, the trial to come in your life, even the persecution, but it will not be more than you can bear. He's promised that. We will be persecuted, the Bible says, for righteousness' sake. That means if you determine to live in a righteous way before God and before men, you will suffer for it. You will be persecuted for it. We, the Bible says that we will suffer or be persecuted for the gospel's sake. That means that as you present the gospel to other people, you will be rejected. You will be laughed at. You will be mocked. You will be persecuted. And in some cases, you may even be killed for the gospel's sake. And then it says in the scripture that we will suffer for his sake. Uh, meaning really that we will bear the same reproach that he experienced here on earth because we live uh, for him. In the early church, many believers suffered the loss of their finances, the loss of their jobs. They had possessions taken from them. For some, their own family rose up against them and friends Some were persecuted, some were beaten, some were killed. And today, many people who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are persecuted. Jesus said that. He said, now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved." The Thessalonian believers had turned, as I said, from idols, and they had turned to serve the living and true God. And that was great for them, but for those that still remained in their community worshiping idols, there was a tension, there was a division. Now they were enemies of each other, in in a sense. And I'm sure that much of the persecution that the Thessalonians faced came from their own family members who were still in idolatry, came from their friends who were still in idolatry, came from their neighbors who were still in idolatry. And it's not surprising um, because these people are still ensnared in the idolatry. In writing for Current News, Dina McMaster posted this story on New Tribe's mission website. She writes about the Mengan tribe in Papua New Guinea. And the Mengan tribe is a, a tribal people that, um, much like the Thessalonians, worshipped idols. And um, yet people came to know the Lord. And there was a family that uh, the wife's name was Kariang, and uh, her husband's name was Telly. And so let me just tell you what the missionaries say. Kariang, a Mengan believer in Papua New Guinea, has been enduring trials with incredible grace and strength, like the Thessalonians. Her daughter, Marion, died this week after battling cerebral malaria and meningitis for several weeks. Carrying is a dear friend and language co-worker of the missionaries there. Uh, Becky uh, is the name of one of the missionaries, and she, she writes this. In fact, most of their eight children were practically raised in my office as Kerryang has spent many hours helping me translate God's word over the years. And so one of the uh, things that the missionaries do is they enter into a tribe. They get to know the people, the culture, the language. They reduce the language to a written form. And then they translate from uh, English or Greek or Hebrew into the language of the people so that they have their own Bible that they can read in their own language. And so they teach the people to recognize characters, and they they teach them how to read their own language, and uh, then they teach them the Scripture um, and have Bibles produced for them. And that's the process they were going through here uh, when this happened. And Carrying had become a believer, and uh, she was helping with the translation work. I'm so thankful, they said, that the daughter Marion had a chance to hear the gospel message, and as far as we know, placed her trust in Jesus Christ. 
Both of her parents, Telly and Carrying, are believers and have undergone tremendous persecution in the past few weeks. You say, well, they just lost their daughter, Marion, to uh, meningitis and, and um, her battle with, with this sickness. And now the people in their tribe, who are idolaters, have now turned against them and are persecuting them. Why are they persecuting them? Traditionally, when someone is sick, the Mengen people perform all sorts of magic rituals, calling on the spirits of their dead ancestors for help and for healing. And though Telly and Kuryang, uh courageously stood firm in refusing to p- perform these healing rituals on Marion while she was ill, they have now borne much persecution and ostracism from their family because the end result was their daughter died. And so the people of the tribe are saying, you see, you should have listened to us. You should have called upon our dead ancestors for healing. And they've begun to persecute them. Not only did they begin to persecute them um, verbally, but they actually kicked them out of the tribe entirely. And they were kicked out of the village and they're not even allowed to gather their belongings. And they're suffering for the sake of righteousness, for the gospel's sake and for, the, for Christ's sake. Pray, she writes, for the peace and comfort of the eight young children as they see their parents punished for taking a stand for Jesus and also as they grieve for the loss of their sister. It reminds me of what must have been taking place among the Thessalonian believers at the time Paul was writing this. And Paul is so thrilled with the way the Thessalonians are handling persecution and afflictions that he actually boasts of them and and sets them up as an example among the churches that he is uh, preaching to. In the midst of the testing and persecution and tribulations, they were growing in patience and endurance. James chapter 1 says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God's purpose in allowing these trials is to develop patience and endurance in us as believers. This is why I said to you several weeks ago, pray for us right now, that in our own personal trials, we would receive these trials with joy and grow in patience. And if God is using uh, trials in your life right now um, to, to bring about your personal maturity in Christ, praise the Lord for that. Okay? Don't run from it. Don't freak out by it. Recognize what is happening and praise God for it. Rejoice. Count it all joy in the midst of the trials. I'm actually not surprised at the timing of the trial that we are going through because during the past year, Chris and I have engaged in a renewed effort to get the gospel out into the world. One of our lifetime goals is to see the gospel um, going out to every country of the world. And there are countries that are closed to the gospel. In some of these countries, it is illegal to publicly preach the gospel. And the Lord has given opportunities for us to assist people who have boots on the ground. There are people in these countries that are actually preaching the gospel, getting the gospel out through literature or through other means. And it is thrilling to us to be able to be part of that as a ministry. We are reaching out to Muslim countries, to African nations, to tribal people groups, and into communist countries. But as the, the word of God goes out to these countries, there is great opposition. Satan has had a stranglehold on these people for so many years. And so as the gospel begins to penetrate into the hearts of men and women and children, uh, there's a battle, there's a fight, and he's not going to let go easily. And it seems that like everybody involved in these projects is has come under some form of satanic Attack, And just like in a war, when there are those who suffer on the front lines, we at home should suffer with them. It's a war over the souls of men and women 
and children. But to me, it underscores that we are in the very center of God's will. When there are trials like this that take place, when there's suffering that takes place, we are in the center of God's will. And it gives me hope. This is what Paul tries to get across to the Thessalonians in in, uh, verses 4 through 6. It says, uh, we read about their patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which also you suffer. Their persecution shows that God is righteous in his judgment. What does, that, what does that mean? Well, why are they being persecuted? They are being persecuted for believing in the Lord and for living for him. They are living in a world that is filled with unbiblical ideas and they are taking a stand for Christ. They are living for the kingdom of God and not for this world. And unbelievers are persecuting and harassing them, and in some cases, killing them as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are preaching the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And they are under attack. They are suffering not because they've done evil, but because they are living a life that is pleasing to God. They are trying to rescue people from going to hell And there are evildoers who are rising up against them and persecuting them. Well, God is a God of justice. God is a God who is fair and righteous. And his character demands that he give relief to those who are persecuted and that he punish the persecutors. That is a righteous God who will do that. The persecutors are evildoers. I want, to, I want to just stop for a minute and think about a couple of verses that talk about this. In Psalm chapter 37, it says this, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. I've told you in the past that... When I get a book, I do the thing that is anathema among book readers. I go to the end, and I see the end of the story. And I see Sam, it hurts his heart to even hear that. (laughs) I want to know the end. First two verses of this psalm, the Lord tells us the end, right at the beginning. And he says, are there people who are persecuting you? Are there evildoers that have come and are attacking? Let me tell you the end. They will be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. God is righteous. God is faithful and he will do uh, what he promises. And so the psalm, psalm goes on and it says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. Praise the Lord. Wickedness will be done away. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth. Isn't that what the children said this morning? Isn't that what they quoted? And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow, that is to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct, Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. The Bible says this, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. It is not right for us to stand up and defend ourselves. It is not right for us to try to attack our enemies. In fact, we looked at it last week. We are to love our enemies. That is what we are called to do. And pray for those who despitefully use us and abuse us. 
But it is the Lord's place, and it is his right and his place to exercise judgment against those who have uh, been our persecutors. One day, God will judge unbelievers for their treatment of his people. And I want to tell you this. It is right that God will judge unsaved husbands for persecuting their believing wives. It is right that he will judge employers who have oppressed uh, and persecuted believing um, workers. It is right that he will punish unbelievers who attack what Christians believe and what, how Christians live. It is righteous for God to judge those who have fought against the gospel message and point out that, uh, and, and to, uh, to condemn those, uh, who have heard the message which is meant for them to be saved. So as the gospel goes out and we preach the gospel, our goal is that these people might be delivered from judgment, that they might be delivered from hell. And they've refused it. And it is right for God to judge those who refuse this message. It is right for God to one day judge those who stoned Stephen and punish evildoers who have been um, who have martyred believers down through the centuries. It is right for God to judge those who revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for his name's sake. God is a righteous judge. And in keeping with his character, he must turn the wickedness of evildoers against themselves. He must do that. He is right. He is righteous in his judgment. And there is a day coming, as the psalmist said, when the wicked will be no more. Praise the Lord for that. That's why Paul says your persecution is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. God will be able to point to your suffering as a believer and your patient endurance through the trials, through the persecution And he will be able to say to your persecutors, my judgment against you is righteous because of what you have done to them and what you have said against them. They did not resist. resist. My children patiently endured the suffering that you heaped upon them, and they did not resist you. They did not fight back, and you had no cause for your wickedness against them. You have shown no mercy to them. And you will be shown no mercy in judgment. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, the scripture says. When evil men rise up against Christians, as I said earlier with with, um, the statement of the Lord Jesus Christ to Saul, they are rising up against the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As Saul was going out to persecute the church, Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And as you inflict the wound on the body of Christ, you are afflicting wounds to the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. The persecution of the church is clear evidence of why God must punish persecutors and his judgment will be righteous. Next, he says that your suffering as a believer also shows that you are worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, our suffering doesn't gain us entrance into heaven. Our entrance into heaven is established by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's it. We believed on him and we were saved. But it is interesting that uh, he says here in this passage that your suffering shows that you are worthy of the kingdom of God. Our suffering demonstrates that we are true believers and that we are worthy of reigning with him when he comes to set up his kingdom on the earth. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Jesus said in Matthew 5, in two of the verses that the children quoted this morning, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It is right, not only for the Lord to judge the unrighteous, 
to judge the persecutors, but to reward the persecuted. And that is what he will do. As uh, Chris and I renewed our efforts to get the gospel out into every country of the world, last year we um, suffered in some senses personal loss, but certainly not to the same extent as our brothers and sisters uh, on the front line in the battle. We have suffered what I believe are satanic attacks, but not in the same measure as those who are suffering on the front lines for Christ. Together, we share in the sufferings of Christ in the battle with our brothers and sisters. One of the countries we reached out to this past year was the country of Malawi in Africa. Our goal was to fund a missionary project that would print and distribute 10,000 copies of the simplified, a simplified version of The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus in the Chichewa language, which is the main language of Malawi. But the project was to do more than simply print the books that had been translated and to um, have them in a warehouse. It was to get those books into the hands of the believers, but not just so that they would have a copy of the book in their own hands, but they might know how to use it so that they might be able to reach into their own tribal groups around the country, into their own towns and cities and villages. And uh, there has been an establishment of a number of believers in that country who are now trained in teaching the gospel this way, as we have done here, and, uh, but not without persecution. There's a financial cost, obviously, that goes into this project. But as the gospel goes into new territories, there's also satanic opposition. And in some small measure, we suffer for the sake of the gospel. But I want to tell you what they're suffering on the front line so you have a better idea of what the cost is. I received an email on December 10th um, last year, 2014, and we were informed that they had received the print run of the 10,000 books. Praise the Lord for that. Shortly after they received the books, uh, one of the contacts in the country was given an opportunity to preach in one of the churches and to tell them about the opportunity that they could have of being trained to, to uh, teach this material to others. Uh, what he didn't know that in this church there were undercover agents posing as Christians. They were spies. And about a week later, this preacher was arrested and put in prison for several days. He is currently out on bail. On December uh, 2nd, he writes, he was almost arrested again. So December 10th is when we heard about it, but uh, December 2nd was the early part of the story. He was almost arrested again. He had uh, set up a meeting in a local hotel in, in a town not far from where he lived with two men, and uh, he was going to present the information or the books to them. And uh, he, these were men that he thought were Christians but were actually spies. He writes, Ten minutes into the meeting, state agents led by a police officer arrived, and I was manhandled and threatened by one agent. Six armed police officers watched and did nothing about it. After about 30 minutes of this ordeal, I was forced into a car and driven to another police station. I was interrogated for over, I, actually, it's, I said four here, I think it's actually five hours, and then commanded to go back home and tell nobody what had happened to me. The agent informed him that the spies had turned him in. So here he is, he's, he's seeking to get the gospel out. What would you do in that situation? Okay, you've just been interrogated, you've been arrested, you've been put in prison. Uh, this time he wasn't arrested again. But what would you do? Say, you know what, nuts to this. Forget it. Is that what you would say? That was not his attitude. Did he give up? On the contrary, it renewed his zeal to get the gospel out. The print run of the books had arrived, and he was excited to take, to take them into some of the rural towns. And it would be a week-long trip. He had to get permission from the police officers or the police government uh, agency uh, to allow him to travel out of town because he was out on bail. During that trip, 
that week-long trip, he spoke to 3,500 people and personally taught 1,000 people how to use that material to teach others um, how to present the gospel. Wow. How was your week? (laughs) How was my week? On the way back home from the trip, his car ran out of gas. So he left it at the side of the road and he walked to the nearest gas station to get some, some gas. And upon returning to the car, the window had been smashed out. All the contents of the car had been stolen, including 250 books that he still had in the car, his laptop, the proceeds of um, well, money that he had in the car and his financial records. When he returned to the car, the thugs who had stolen everything returned to the car as well and took everything he had on him personally. And he said that I only escaped with my life. That's the front line. Persecuted for the gospel's sake. Persecuted for the Lord's sake. Our brothers and sisters are suffering for the sake of the gospel. What are we suffering for? Are we suffering for anything? Do we live in such a way in our Christian lives that we are clearly in the battle over the souls of men and women and children? There's a cost involved in it. Some of it's financial. Some of it's personal. Uh, It could be in so many ways. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in Philippians uh, Philippians 1, 27, he says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you... It has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Back to Thessalonians, it's a righteous thing for God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. I'm not going to go further in this passage today. Um, In a few weeks, we'll take up where we left off. But I want to finish this morning by showing you a short video. Um, I will say to you this. If your children are not used to graphic um, pictures, that you may want to excuse them. Um, There is uh, a story of what Christians are suffering in... um, uh, Gamba, or uh, I'm sorry, it's uh, Gombe, Nigeria, and it's a story of two women. One's name is Victoria, and the other's name is Rejoice. And uh, it's a reenactment, and so it's not the actual um, pictures of the event itself, but it's a reenactment of the uh, a recent persecution they suffered in the church there, and I show it to awaken you and to remind you that we are in a battle and to pray for those who are suffering uh, and to become engaged in the spiritual battle yourself. And so with that, we'll, we'll show the, the clip and then I'll close in prayer. I've never been protected from my church. Six, something went to church. My dad, my mom, and children were four. That we sing praises, we pray for peace of the nation. Then we pray for those persecuted Christians.
Shouting Jesus. That was the only thing I had. Some people shouted Jesus. My younger brother shot him on the chest. His name is Kijon. And he died at the age of 10. I think they are 18 people that they are shot and 12 are dead. I saw my father bleeding seriously, but from the time he's always kind, always tell us to read the Bible and be close to God. And that was the last time I saw It's not dead. Let me one to Lord, as we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering today, we cry out to you for them. We think of the blood of martyrs that have been spilt through the centuries, Lord, and for those who have lived lives out for you. We think of the, the words of martyrs, Lord, how long? 
And yet, Lord, it gives us, in many ways, great hope that that you have seen, you have not forgotten, and that you are righteous. You will avenge their blood for sure. But, Lord, as I look at the suffering on the front lines, it makes me think, what am I doing in my own life, Lord? What are we doing as a church? What are we suffering for the sake of Christ? And, Lord, we cry out to you that we might really focus our attention, renew our commitment to you, to serve you with all of our heart, our souls, our being. I think, Lord, of uh, the, the stakes of the souls of men and women and children who have still to hear the gospel. And I just cry out to you, Lord, that we might put aside things that really don't matter in life and that we might focus on what really does matter. And Lord, we want to pray for Victoria and her family, for Rejoice and her family, the other believers there in Nigeria that have suffered such loss. Comfort and help them, Lord, and make them even bolder in their stand for you. I pray that you would bring down the evildoers, Lord, that have perpetuated this evil upon them. Lord, I cry out to you also for the tribal work that we spoke about and this couple that has been uh, ostracized from their tribe, from their village, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of righteousness. And I pray, Lord, that you might comfort and help them, not only in their loss of their daughter, but also in the loss of uh, the friendship and fellowship that they have had with others. And we cry out to you, Lord, that you might make them stand strong, to persevere, and to have faith, deep faith in you. We pray for the work in Malawi. And we pray, Lord, for this believer who has been arrested and is out on bail and is being persecuted. But we pray, Lord, I think of what he did in a week's time that is more than most of us will do in a lifetime. And I cry out to you, Lord, that you might give him strength and fruits and fruit that remains. We think of others, Lord, in different parts of the world who are suffering for your sake. Give them comfort. Give them help. And, Lord, may we be able to boast of this assembly as well, uh, rejoicing at the endurance uh, in the midst of persecution and trials that come our way. We pray that you might cause us, Lord, as a church to grow strong in, uh, in patience and endurance. And we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.